when we step on the floor, you're going to have to kill us to beat us. Or you're going to have to kill us to beat us. Or kill us to beat us. Welcome to Hawk Talk, the one and only podcast for all things St. Joe's basketball. My name is Peter Carney, and each week, me and St. Joe's hoops aficionado, Tony Morelli, will talk news and notes to keep you in the know on the St. Joe's 2021-2022 men's basketball season. This season's set up to be an exciting one on Hawk Hill, and you won't want to miss a moment of it. Hawk Talk will keep you covered. The Hawks will be flying in soon, so let's get this started. Welcome to Hawk Talk. Uh, today's episode, we'll be talking about Davidson, Fordham, the X's and O's, and whether or not we're buying or selling this program. Uh, so without further ado, Tony, how are you doing? We are here to break down the X's and O's. There's no podcast like it. Um, Pete, I'm doing great. You know, the Fordham game was a win. We got to see each other, which is always nice. Uh, I think we saw Marty Hawk. Well, we'll talk about that later. Um, got to see one another, which is always a good time, and I was really glad that we got to go to Landmark before the game. And then the Davidson game, which, honestly, I know a lot of people are upset about that game. I saw one person tweeting out 20. Someone tweeted out, number 22 is the most overrated Hawk in the 28 years I've been watching St. Joe's Pass. I'm like, cool your brakes. Like, that's not the case. We went on the road against Davidson. The team made good adjustments. We, we kept... We kept up with Davidson for majority of the game. And with Funk and Hall not playing great, they didn't play well. We still had guys step up and keep us close in the game for what was a really exciting game. The game We didn't win. That's okay. Um, I was anticipating a loss, but seeing the way this team played against Davidson on the road, you know, can we feel confident going into UMass to Mason? I'm feeling very confident. So... Uh, we had a good win against Fordham, a disappointing loss against Davidson. However, I still we can feel the momentum with this team, and the and the the welcome Eric Reynolds party is here because he is the guy. Like he's the guy, who, he's the best on ball scorer on the team, and it feels great. You know, as a freshman, you can tell they slowly come together, and when you have a freshman leading your team from a point guard standpoint, um, you only get better as the season progresses. So I, I'm thinking team made good adjustments. I'm feeling well. And uh, we had a good Fordham win, so there was some good things to talk about. Yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling decent after the Fordham game. I'm not like hanging my head. I am definitely feeling like Billy Lang. Uh, he can recruit very well. That is that is what I'm taking away from this game because Eric Reynolds is on a team with a, a lot of talent and a lot of experience. But throughout the game, he looked like the most poised, the most ready to attack the basket, to get a bucket when we needed it. He was he was our go-to guy as a freshman. And that has to do with, you know, Strawn and Lang and their recruiting, recruiting capabilities. And so I feel good from that capacity. I think if you tell me 
at the beginning of the season, if you tell me that Eric Reynolds would be emerging as our best player, I would think that we're probably one of the top team, top five teams in the A10. That being said, Jordan Hall and Taylor Funk had really, really poor nights last night. And I think we should get into that in a moment here, sort of diving into the fact that it's strange that we have such a talented rookie in Reynolds. And yet our guys are really playing down, it feels like, when they really need to play to the the same level that they play all the time just because Reynolds is emerging as a really good ball handler, point guard, scorer, doesn't mean that our guys should be playing down. Um, So, yeah, Tony, what do you think about just the whole idea of those, those three guys? And I mean, even edge and cam cam Brown play better than Jordan Hall and funk uh, for us and Davidson. So let's dive into Davidson sort of recap what you think from that end, like, our, our best guys haven't been our best guys. So what are you thinking? Yeah. Um, my first thought was the team came out with a good strategy and it, and it worked, right? There is those, those screens that they keep setting and going downhill and a lot of lateral movement to get their, you know, I've been a big proponent of, I say modified Princeton. We kind of got close to a modified Princeton in some regard yesterday because we, there's a couple times where we set the screen and then we give the ball to the center to make the pass. That's what a modified Princeton is. The modified Princeton is not the center, but usually maybe the power forward stands on the top of the key, gets the ball after a screen. Um, player charges downhill towards the net. That's a cut. The, the guy can dunk it off or he can pass it out into the corner. Um, and there's a lot of movement. And it had that kind of feel to it. Now, it wasn't perfect. Of course, it's not a real modified Princeton, of course. Um but for majority of that first part of the game, there was a lot of good screen setting and then hitting the lane. Cam Brown hit the lane really well yesterday. At the end of the game, he came in with some critical baskets when it looked like this. I mean, it's quite clear that the shallow rotation is making the guys very tired for St. Joe's. Like just fatigue is setting in towards the end of the game. And you have to turn to a guy like Cameron Brown who still has like somewhat fresh legs because he hadn't been utilized all game or as much all game, and he gets to the rim and he gets some big baskets, and he's really effective when he hesitates, in the sense that, not hesitate as an I don't know what I'm doing hesitation, hesitation as I'm going to the rim, I'm going to do a one-second jump stop or a pause, I'm going to send my defender flying in the air, and then I'm going to score the basket afterwards. That worked a lot, that works a lot for the Hawks in general, the jump stop is a really cool move, and I think it doesn't get, if anyone watches the 76ers, Allah Abdomali, hopefully I didn't I said that name correctly. He's always screaming, jump stop, jump stop. He's screaming it all the time because it works. And a lot of players don't do it. And when St. Joe's guys do it, it kind of gives them a little extra space that they normally won't have. Um, it's just like a, that other creativity, put that trick in your, you know, your bag of tricks, and it, and it works for you. So that was one thing. The fatigue sets in Cam Brown popped to the rim really well. The screen setting I talked about, that was really good. Um, I kind of like Coleman or Educate getting the ball and making the right pass out of, you know, they set the screen, there's the lateral movement, and um, dribble handoff, Hall's streaking to the basket, Obina's got the ball in his hand, like, halfway to the like the lane or to, at the top of the key, and he either passes it or he passes it out or he shoots it himself. The only issue I have with that maneuver 
right? That screen that we set is the fact that Coleman gets it only halfway towards the rim. And same with Obina. Um, I'm okay with setting a, a screen with a shallow roll, I guess you would call it. Um, but if your big man's not ready to pass out of that or take the mid-range jumper, I guess you consider it mid-range. It's kind of close. But for those guys, it's mid-range. Um, it can lead to turnovers. And that's what happened with Obina, right? There's six turnovers. Why? He does a shallow roll. He gets the ball in his hand. Guys are swiping at it because he's not going up and keeping the ball above his head. He's, he has the ball at his waist. And anytime a center has a ball at his waist, it's a recipe for disaster. Um, so we got to figure that part out. We got to figure out, okay, we're going to do, you know, Obina's not going to go dive to the rim after the screen. He's going to get the ball and he's going to pass it to the streaking player. He's going to get it to the cutting guy. Um, either if the guy's cutting from the three-point line or he, it's just the guy who set, you set the pick for. Um if you're going to do that, make sure you're ready to make the pass right away. You can't hold on to the ball forever. And if you find yourself in no man's land, kind of have the confidence to shoot that mid-range. I know it's not pretty, but it doesn't even need to be a full shot. It could be literally a floater. You're seven feet tall. Do like a little sky hook or something. You know, you're eight feet out from the rim. You're big enough where you don't have to do a full-fledged shot to get it in the basket. You can kind of do like a modified layup and, and loft it into the basket um, or in the rim. Um... Those were all the good things that happened. The bad things that happened were, one, the Obina turnovers, like, unacceptable. He He's a turnover machine last night, six turnovers, and he needs to correct that. The team can't win if we turn the ball over. That's a fact. Um, the second thing was Hall and Funk Funk. You get Funk the ball with the last shot in regulation. Once you, goes to, once you go to overtime, it's just hard to win. It's really hard to win on the road in overtime. Um... And I felt like that was, you know, we got the guy. Don't, you know, everyone complains about Billy's X's and O's. And there's a movement now to accredit the assistant coaches with the X's and O's. So every time there was a great play, I just thought, man, these assistants are really good. Um, and when that happened at the final play, the assistants really drew up a nice, a nice play to get Funk the ball open in the corner. And he missed. And that was, you know, Coach Lang's fault that he missed. Um, it's the assistant's coach who got it right. <laughs> And it's Lang's fault that Funk missed. No, I'm joking. Giving, I know the fans probably listening are, you know, triggered or whatever. But it's a joke. Don't worry. Whatever. Um, but that Funk, but I will say in all seriousness, that Funk 3, I mean, that's got to go in. You're the senior guy. You're the best three-point shooter. And you miss it. It's just like killer. Killer. Because that, that was the game. That was the game. Yeah, so killer Funk shooting 2 for 14, that won't happen again. Uh, at least in, in my head. I don't see Taylor Funk letting that happen. He's a senior. He's our guy. He's like when he gets his shot, which I think a lot of those shots were his shots. They usually fall and they should fall. When when I look back at this game, I don't know if I I do I do blame because obviously that's the most recent shot that really should have fell that really should have gave us the game. It was his not his corner, but it was. You know, it was, it was a corner shot. He loves his corner threes. I thought it was dropping. It didn't drop. Uh, I think it's tough. After we play pretty much the whole game and you're up against Davidson, you're really rolling, you didn't have really a good game, and you, you're expected to hit that shot, it's, it's really difficult. Um, so I think looking forward, you, you really you need to – Taylor Funk can't go two for 14. He can't take one three-pointer. We need to – his, his identity as a basketball player is a shooter. And if he's going to shoot what we need him to in order for us to be relevant in the A-10, 
he needs to make his shots. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the team's going to go as far as he takes us. Jordan Hall was never going to be, and I think this is an important part, Pete. Um, you know, Jordan Hall, we had spoke about this in the beginning of the season with Matt Gifford. He was never supposed to be the number one scoring option on this team. We always thought that he would be number two on the team, and you can t- check the records on that, and that Funk would be the number one scoring option on the team because he's just a prolific shooter. But what we've learned is that Funk is kind of one-trick pony in the sense of what he does, um, and it's hard for him to get open. Teams purposely target him, and when he's just really good at three-point shooting, and there's sometimes where he can cut to the basket, but... Very rarely do you just give Taylor the ball and say, okay, now go hit the lane and, and get a layup. Like, he just can't do that. That's not his skill set. He's not quick enough to do that. You know he's not quick enough because on defense, it, he has a hard time shuffling his feet to keep defenders in front of him sometimes. That's just not his skill set. His skill set is shooting. He's really, really good at it. He's our best free throw shooter. When there's a technical given against Davidson, we put Taylor Funk on the line. Like, that's just, he's the pure scorer score from a shooting standpoint. But... He's not a guy who can, you can give him the ball and say, okay, we need a basket like right now. Critical moment. Here it comes. Like, put the ball on the floor and go score. No, that can't happen with Taylor Funk. He can't do that. Jordan Hall can't really do that either. We've seen that Jordan Hall just isn't fast enough to get around some guys. Uh, and he can drive to the lane, but not as well as you would hope for him to be. That's what makes him not the number one scoring option on the team. Jordan can shoot the three really well. He's gotten much better at it. Now, he was one for eight last night. But on the season, he was like 37.5% heading into this game. That's really good for a player of his stature. Most NBA teams, if you can shoot that rate, 37.5, you're in the league. You're in the NBA for a good long season. Now, the NBA three-point line's a little farther, but it doesn't negate the fact that Hall's a good three-point shooter. He just has trouble getting a little separation against defenders. He has really good court vision. But what teams do and what they have done is they've put smaller defenders on Jordan or quicker defenders because they know Jordan can't get around them and they cut him off and he usually has to go to the back down method and he has to go in the post and quite frankly, he's just not as effective in the post as you'd like him to be because he's not a post player. He's really good with the ball in his hand. He has good court vision. He's a point guard, not a not a post player and Great point guards like Chris Paul have always been able to back down players, but for some reason, Jordan Hall, that's just not a skill set right now. He probably has to develop more to get that that ability. And so it's turned to Eric Reynolds. Eric Reynolds is our guy. And Taylor Funk has struggled. He's the third scoring option. Why is he the third scoring option? Because Jordan has the ball in his hand. He's going to find the open player. And that's Eric Reynolds. Eric Reynolds can shoot the three. And he can easily get around his players. There was like three or four baskets last night. You're like, whoa. Eric Reynolds went right by that guy. His hand is up at the rim and he's like barely, there's like barely any space between his fingertips and the backboard. He just secures, the ball is like going secure finger roll right up to the layup. And you're like, this isn't, this isn't going to miss. Like it just looks pretty. And he goes, he's literally like lightning speed. (laughs) You're like, he's going to hit his head on the backboard. That's how fast he's going. So While Taylor Funk has struggled, I think we've kind of revealed what he is. He is the third scoring option. He shoots the three, but it's going to be Eric Reynolds first. And then second, it's going to be Jordan Hall cutting to the rim or grabbing a a rebound as he did yesterday and securing the second go-ahead basket um, or shooting a three. And so that's kind of the way the offense has to run. And those pick and rolls we were doing with Obina and with Coleman, they work really well with Reynolds 
hand on the ball. And they work with Hall too, but it, it really worked when you have Reynolds doing the screen and Hall and Funk are sitting in the corners ready for their threes. Like it, That's almost the most effective way to run the offense for them. Um, it's just a shame because Funk and Hall missed their threes yesterday. And Reynolds, the guy with the ball in his hand for majority of those half-court sets, he was four for eight. So it's just the emergence of him. And, and it, we, as you said, Pete, we're going to struggle if Hall and Funk can't find their way. But part, part of it for me is Davidson's a really good team and they just know how to silence your best players. And luckily we had a guy like Reynolds step up to the plate but and Brown and Obina. But if we want to win... You know, Hall and Funk kind of have to overcome better players for us to, you know, that's that's the only way you do win is your best players overcome their best players. And last night that didn't happen. We had to rely on our our other guys and they got it done. But you're not going to get over the hump on the road without Hall, at least either Hall or Funk playing, at, you know, up to the, the level that, that we expect them to be. Yeah. You know, I'll say this. We're, we're acting the nose, guys. Looking at the X's and O's, we played mostly man last night right we play i don't think i saw a possession where we played zone Funk was in 42 minutes our bench gave us 19 minutes last night Funk was in pretty much the entire game and he did really he give him credit he did really well for him on defense high john lee 15 points Davidson overall, two 23 from the field from three. This is the team that is like 10th in the nation as far as their offense goes. Their offensive efficiency is insane. We did really well shutting them down. Obviously, they weren't hitting shots, and we need to capitalize on that. What I'm trying to say is that Taylor Funk going two for 14 may also have to do with the fact that, A, they're defending is really, really Good. I mean, I don't think with whoever was guarding Funk was pretty much shutting him down. That's obvious. And B, Funk was playing really hard on defense. So, um, yeah, I think not only are we not going to win games when Funk and Hall aren't playing well, but I don't know if we'll win any games when our bench plays 19 minutes and scores zero points. That's pretty tough, too. The, Magnific- the Magnificent Seven, as magnificent as they are, will only take us so far. Um, it's going to be tough. I mean, we're really, really starting to feel the pain that is not having a- another bench player. I remember against the Fordham game, Amir Bishop was literally an offensive liability where there were multiple times throughout the, the course of the, the game where your bishop would be living on an island in the corner and no one would dare even i mean it seemed like the guy our guys wouldn't even give him the ball because when he gets it and this is always true but it seems like he just loved to shoot the ball which is fine if he makes some threes but he has to learn from cam brown and eric reynolds that you have to diversify yourself especially when you're in the a10 you can't just shoot every single time you get the ball. You have to drive. And Demir does really well, and he does drive, and he does attack. And I think that's why Cam Brown has emerged recently, uh, because of his ability to get downhill really well. Him and Reynolds, I mean, Reynolds is just, he's electric. He's, boy, he's quick. Pete, something interesting that I was looking at was rebounding last night. Offensive rebound, we had 11, Davidson had 11. Defensive rebounds, we had 25. Davidson had 25. Rebounding was completely even. 
We had more assists than Davidson. We moved the ball a lot better. 14 assists to 9 assists. We only had 2 steals to Davidson's 5. I kind of don't like how we we are tentative in raiding the passing lanes. We do not raid the passing lanes. It would be a lot easier for for Hall if we gave him some open, you know, he stole the ball and ran it all the way down the court and had an open dunk. Like that's kind of like offensive sets that we need to generate for him. Um he could be really deadly with his skill set if we it's almost like like, I don't want to say it's too much like Brett Brown, but I and I don't like to do NBA comparisons, but I remember with the 76ers, we used to complain, it's like, Brett Brown's a defensive coach, and we would just be really, really timid about trying to steal balls in the passing lane. I don't want Billy to be that like that either. Like, we have a guy, kind of like in this, I don't want to say Ben Simmons, because that's persona non grata, but I will say this, you know, Jordan Hall, let's make his life easier. Let's steal some balls in the passing lane, and let's Let's get it moving in the the open court. Like he's really effective in that in that mode. The open court is his mojo. The half court is Reynolds' thing. Like we need to figure out a way to get in the half court more. Getting rebounds is one way we do it, but the other way is steals. And I I want to see us increase our steal uh, capabilities. And then I'm looking at the only other thing: turnovers. We had 12 to Davidson's five. As I said, you're not going to win games turning the ball over. There's nothing I can do about that. That's decision making. And I don't know if they need to be in the film room more, but quite frankly, it's just unacceptable. And then penalties, another discipline issue, right? Penalties, turnovers are discipline issues. We had 18, Davidson had 10. You can blame the refs, but look, in the A-10, the refs favor physicality and players who go up strong to the rim. They, they, that's how they call plays and that's how they call fouls. And if you're not aggressive in your plays, if you're just shooting threes, you're not attacking the rim. They're not going to call the, those fouls. And if you're not aware of when a, a block or a charge or a player's about to step in to try to not get a block, but get a charge, you know, they're going to call the charge on you. They love to do it. So those are some issues there, but all around could have been a lot worse. I see, we see improvement from the last game. There's no doubt about it. And so we move on and there's nothing much for me about Davidson game other than I feel okay after I'm not the sky's not falling for me that that was a really hard loss it's unfortunate that we lost but look we got the ball we tied it we were down five we tied it and we put the ball in Funk's hand to shoot the three didn't go in there's nothing more I can do about that yeah all right well what I, I agree I don't really have too much more I want to get into as far as the Davidson goes, game goes. So let's touch upon the forum game and then get into a little bit of our buy or sell um, discussion. So the Fordham game, it wasn't the same game as the Davidson game. It was sort of like a flip-flop in the way that we started. Fordham started the game really well. Uh, I felt like they were in control, even though we ended the half uh, on top. I believe it was 31 to 30 going into half. Uh, again, going back to the stat line, Eric Reynolds with 23 points, five of seven from two and three from eight from three. And you, you could see it throughout the game. We, we relied on Reynolds. Like he was literally our best player without a doubt in both games. Um, so that's a huge takeaway that I have from that game. Uh, Jordan Hall didn't, a lot better in that game. He had a nearly a double double with uh, 15 and 9. 
Taylor Franz again, another tough game. I mean, how does Franz take one three? That is ridiculous. That's the definition of one dimensionality gone wrong. Uh, and then we have Cameron Brown with 12 points and six rebounds. I think he did really well. I was really happy with Cameron Brown again there. Um, but Tony, what do you want to talk about when it comes to the Florida game? I'll talk about uh, that we ordered Yinglings at Landmark and they didn't have draft. And that's a problem. Okay. We're Philadelphia school. We're in the state of Pennsylvania. We're not too far from Pottstown or wherever it's made. Where is Yingling made? I think it's Pottstown, isn't it? Googling. Google machine. Because I don't... If I get it wrong, we'll never hear the end of it. Um, yeah, it is. It's Pottsville. I said Pottstown. Pottsville. Excuse me. That's why I looked that up. That's why we looked it up. We're not spreading fake news. Um, but they only had bottles. And I like a good bottle on a barbecue Sunday, But... I go to a bar because they have the draft system, and I haven't invested in my $700 kegerator just yet, um, and that's a real problem for me. Other Another another thing, Pete, we, th- we think we saw Marty Hawk, a legend, on 810 Twitter, but we were too scared to go up to him, and that's a fact. Yeah, he's an intimidating guy. And it, it, he's taller than just, I thought, if yeah, it's him. And I, I'd imagine if I went up to him, he would just have a very, like, humbling presence about him. Like, I, I don't think I – he's very charismatic. I could just tell. He, he's very wise, and he knows a lot about the game. I was hearing him all game. He had really good insights. Uh, so, Marty, uh, you're listening. Next time I'm at the game, we'll definitely have to get a beer together. I was also infuriated by the fact that I went to the – landmark you know drove like five hours through the ice storm that was happening in boston on friday and then they give me a beer when i uh, they give me a, a bottle for a yingling when you know this is me coming home trying to have some nostalgia and i'm greeting with a bottle of like a baby like a yeah <laughs> you're ridiculous it's just like come on but the wings, I will say, the wings are decent. I mean, the, they came out really quickly. Uh, that was that was nice. Yeah, I had uh, I had chicken tendies. Remember when those were the craze last year? Um, and then the other thing, Pete, uh, how about the the concession workers know my name? They know my order. They know my name. <laughs> That's a pro. That's a it problem. Is true. It is true. They they were confused when you didn't get the pretzel the first time. They were like. Oh, you don't want the pretzel, Tony? Hey, man, that's customer service. It's like, you know, it's like Cheers. You ever watch Cheers? It's like you you walk in, um, you walk into, uh, what's it called? And, um, you know, Norm, like they all know your name. (laughs) Like that's Tony. Yeah. At the one, at one concession stand. It was a warm feeling. It was, it was good. And then you were telling them back in the day, you know, you used to work the stand. I did. I did used to work the stand. You're right. It's a heartwarming. Heartwarming. Those were the good times. You know, I bet that's how Arnie Hawk probably started off. He was probably like, he went like, you knew his name probably. No, I missed that one. It's okay. We'll get, we'll get, you'll get it next time. <laughs> um, Wait, how about the fact that Dirk Nowitzki's little like brother plays for Fulham, Russ Bassett? 
Rafael Nowitzki. Is that him? No, I thought it was one other time. You said that to me too. You're like, man, that guy, that's Dirk Nowitzki's brother. <laughs> We're going to have to fact check that one. I don't think that is. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to do some, I'll get the insights too. Um, so I think that's, I mean, from the serious, on, all, on a serious note about the Fordham game, we took care of a team that a lot of people thought were better than us. There's a lot of people out there saying Kyle Neptune's the real deal, blah, 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 blah. And we beat them. And I think we've clearly separated ourselves from the rest of the pack of the bottom four. I don't think we're a bottom four team in the A-10 anymore. And I know people like to joke, oh, we're still a pillow fight team. I, I just don't see it. I think we're too good for that. I, I really do. And I think, what, we've beat Duquesne. We beat Fordham. We beat George Washington. Now we have UMass coming up. That's that's the If we beat UMass, there's no changing my mind. We're not a bottom four team in the A-10. I'm not scared of becoming a bottom four team in the A-10. We're taking care of all those teams. And the only team that we lost to in the bottom four was LaSalle. And they beat other, they've beaten other teams in the A-10. So it's not like that's a crazy idea that they, they could win games. Um, some might say GW is not a bottom four team. I think they are a bottom four team. Um so I think, and we're gonna face LaSalle again, and I think we get the win there. It's just the series is five. The series for, with LaSalle has always been five hundred. They always play us hard. I know a lot of people freaked out after that loss, but that's just another one where it's we've beaten all the other bottom four teams, and beating Fordham was just another notch in the you know in the belt, or I guess you would is the phrase, but another tally in our you know improving that we are better than the bottom four. And that's progress, and I predicted that we'd be 8th in the conference this year, and we're on our way to doing that, and that's a step in the right direction for this team. Rome wasn't built in a day. Things happen slowly, and then all at once, and right now we're in the slowly part. We're slowly getting better, and then all of a sudden you'll blink, and teams jump all the time in the A-10 from 8-6 to six range up to the top 1, 2, and 3. It always happens, but you can't do it from, you don't jump to the top of the A-10 from 12th. No one jumps from 12th to 1st. Even George Mason last year, who has improved greatly, they were, you know, floating around like the 10-9 spot um, at one point, and they weren't, they were, they were kind of seen as like a lackluster franchise. Like, you need to gain momentum, you got to start winning, and all of a sudden, you just like skyrocket to the top, and it, it kind of flips for you. So, the Fordham game was everything I expected. I don't think there was anything too crazy to mention. They played us hard. Every game in the A-10 is going to be close. We just pushed Davidson. So if we don't blow the doors off Fordham, it's not that big of a deal. We get the win. We move on. And there were things to learn from that game, which we clearly brought over to the game against Davidson. But then there was other issues that we still are being plagued by, like turnovers, like fouls. So, Yeah, I actually I wanted to add this to the Davidson notes that I I was thinking of, um, and, and that's the fact that we, we did learn a lot from that first time we played Davidson. Um, they sort of took advantage of us the entire game, uh, the first matchup, but we were in control for pretty much the entire game, the Davidson game. Uh, things got out of hand. I mean, maybe three quarters of the game. What, what can be said is we learned a lot from the first game to the second game. And that's sort of going off of what Tony was saying as as far as we are growing as a team and you can't go from 12 to, you can't expect the A-10 to go from 12 to whatever it is, the top four. But, Tony, 
I have a question. Yep. And that question is, from the, the remaining games, and there are a few that I think you can say that we would have to steal the win, which game would you like to steal? Or games? Like in general? Yeah, like specifically I'm looking at George Mason, Dayton, St. Louis, Bonaventure. Those are the, the type of games against sort of like what is considered the top four in the league. Maybe not George Mason, but after the win against Richmond, maybe they are. But anyway, which which team would you like to, to steal one from? I th- yeah, so I think I don't think we for the Mason game, I don't think we're in a situation where we'd like to steal one. I I view that as a must-win kind of game that determines our success for the season. Those are the Mason is the type of team that we need to get over and around if we want to view the season as a success to some degree. Um, so I'm going to say the St. Louis game. I, we've come close to beating some really good teams like VCU. It didn't come. It fell apart at the end of that road game. It fell apart against Davidson on the road. We had a shot to beat them and we didn't. URI game got away from us on the road, and it didn't turn out the way we wanted to. So I think for me, and we played, I mean, we've played St. Bonaventure once, but I think they just, for some reason, we don't match up as well against them as we did other teams. So for me, we're at St. Louis, we're on the road. I think this is another redemption for us, and I also think the Dayton game is a very winnable game because we always play well against Dayton. Um, They're a better team than us, but... I think Dayton and St. Louis are two games I'm looking at where I'm like, ooh, we can steal those. Like those are those are games we can steal, and for that to be a successful season, or for us to really gain that momentum, a win against Fordham, a win against UMass, and a win against Mason, and then head into Dayton or St. Louis and swap those one for one, and then we're back against LaSalle, Rhode Island, and those are winnable games for us because we're seeing them a second time. So for me, it's St. Louis, Dayton. I think those are the two games where. I'm hoping that we steal at least one of them. Especially Dayton at home. Oh my gosh. Dayton never beats us at home. They have a terrible record at Hagen. That could be the game. I'll retrospectively qualify what I said. George Mason, St. Joe's, that's not like a steal. I mean, George Mason, that, that I agree. We need to split that. Uh, sort of as like a success characterization game for us as a whole. We need to really split that series. Uh, I'll answer my own question. I would be so. First off, I really want to be Gordon Mason. That's probably why I threw him in there. And if I want to steal one, I would love to steal the St. Louis game because I think what Travis Ford has done is really crazy. And it would be nice to steal one on the road in St. Louis. I think that would Twitter would just go on fire and people would get really upset, and it would be great. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, okay, do we want to go to our buy or sell, close out the show? Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's go, St. Joe! Let's go, St. Joe! Let's go, St. Joe! So, Tony, we at Hawk Talk, we, we, we talk about, you know, the state of the program. Uh, we, we know the ins and outs, you know, we, we talk the X's and O's, we talk, we talk everything you really need to know. If we don't talk about that enough, you can gladly go to Tony's 810 Talk pieces and read more about the intricacies of what's going on at St. Joe's. But there's a new segment, and that is, are you buying or selling St. Joe's basketball? Are you buying or selling 
Billy Lang and what he's given you this year that is St. Joe's basketball. So that's my question right now? Yeah, buy or sell? Um, I'm going to buy it because I don't think there's anything better out there right now. And that's kind of how I feel about how I felt about the whole program where there's issues that I see aren't being corrected and it frustrates me. And then there's issues that have been corrected and I'm okay with it. And the team's like treading along where I thought they'd be. So I'm not really that much of like, I'm not angry about a lot of things because the team's exactly where I thought they would be at this point in the season. There's probably one or two games where we should have won and I'm pissed about that. Uh, But other than that, there's, I don't think you can do much different. We've won some games that we weren't supposed to win, and that's gone well for us. And we've, you know, we took care of Duquesne, Fordham, as I said, GW. We got to take care of more teams that are in our range for me to feel a little bit more confident. But I don't think there's too much that a new coach would change at this very moment, other than maybe four. We'd have maybe three or four more wins, and that's about it. Yeah. Um. I can agree. I think that there's definitely people who are frustrated out there with the amount of talent we have and the, the way the season played out. But you can't go from wherever we were last year to having like expecting amazing, great things. But that being said, I am buying with all the money that I have St. Joe's basketball right now because I am a fanatic. I am literally crazy. And I don't care that the season hasn't gone to plan and that we have a pro prospect in Jordan Hall and a really solid big man in Educate. I do care about these things, but I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that there's, there's so much growth that we can, we can have as a, a team and as a program, and it starts with our, our past four or five teams with Eric Reynolds, the sky is the limit for him. He is so dang good. And when I look at who we're bringing in, we're bringing in Christian Winsborn, Lynn Greer, Rashir Fleming, Louis Bleachmore. I'm really excited about Billy Lang and the, the coaching staff, the assistant coaches, bringing in their guys. Because I think we, we do really well when we recruit, and we also do really well when we keep our guys together. I mean, Jordan Hall came back. Taylor Funk came back. Everyone, if we can just keep this unit together, we're obviously, I'm saying this, knowing that we're, we're probably losing at least Funk and Hall, and we're retaining Edge. That's my outlook, is that we retain those guys, and then we add Bleachmere, we add more so Windborn, we add Rear. And I think that backcourt in itself is going to be really, really fun. I, I think Reynolds will do exceedingly well in a guard-focused uh, basketball environment. And I'm excited to see what that has in store for us next year. So I'm buying. Um, we'll see. I mean, we we have a we have a lot of basketball still to be played. Um, it's February now, and we get Holland. You know, if Colin Funk can get on the same page, anything can happen in March. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, Pete, is there anything else on top of mind before we wrap up the show? No, nothing really. Um, I'm excited for UMass on Saturday. Give us a prediction. So. Let's do a prediction to close out the show. Who do you think wins? 
All right. Uh, I'm looking into the future right now, and <laughs> I see. I see. For those who don't, for those who don't know, Pete's in the laboratory right now. He's calling from the lab, so he's hold on. He's making his calculations, predictions, yep. potions, elixirs. Yep. The reaction's going to completion, and I see Taylor Funk just going off. He's pissed. He is a man on a mission, and I see us coming out the pouring, blowing you mats out of the gym. We're pit. We're angry about them beating us the first game of the A10 tournament after we. Knocked off four in a row. We were the hottest team in the A10. We're mad. Taylor's mad. Jordan's mad. We're, we're coming out hot. We're going to beat them by 20. It's going to be 70 Ooh. to yeah, 70 to 50. Ooh, that'd be brutal. I agree. I think we I think we come a little swagger because we got beat last year so badly. They don't play defense at UMass. So the way that our team has played some defense or at least can rebound the ball if UMass misses at the minimum... Uh, I, I have a feeling that St. Joe's, St. Joe's wins. Yeah, I don't know if it's by 20, but that's what the prediction tells us. I'm just telling the people what the numbers say. <laughs> what the calculation is, has returned. Yeah. Ken Palm has us at 79, 78. I have us at 70 to 50. So. There you go. You heard it here first. You're welcome. All right, Tony. Um, thanks for... Recording with us and everyone, thanks for listening. And as always, the Hulk will never die.